Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Friday. Uh, where in the word are you today? I am in John chapter 19. In the 19th chapter of the gospel, uh, according to John, this is where we witness Jesus being sentenced to be crucified. Uh, it's the conversation back and forth between Jesus and Pilate. It is Pilate presenting the option to the crowd. Um, it is Jesus answering Pilate um, on the question of power. Jesus knows exactly who he is. He, he knows exactly to whom he belongs. He knows exactly what in the world he is in the world to do. Um, and so remember that as you are making your way to the cross today. Jesus answers Pilate, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, Uh, The one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Pilate uh, goes on to uh, have a conversation with Jesus, and then the crucifixion proceeds. The soldiers take charge of Jesus and carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him and with him two others on each side of Jesus, Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the sign, for the place uh, where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the King of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Now, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Uh, There's a fulfillment of what uh, is declared in Psalm 22, that they divided the garments among them and cast lots for his clothing. But I don't want you to miss the point here that Jesus hung naked. As he was crucified. The glory of God um, cannot be stripped away, even when the coverings of this world are. Remember that into this world, God brought forth humanity without without the need for a covering. We then, through sin, uh, create the need for a covering, shame and guilt, remorse, God creates clothing for us. And here on the cross, as Christ is literally stripped bare to hang bloody and naked and dying before a gawking world, God makes of Christ the ultimate covering for our sin. God has literally got you covered today in the blood of Christ. Make your way to the cross today, for it is at the cross 
that God made a way home, a way back to himself, a restoration. Jesus says here in the 19th chapter of the gospel, according to John, uh, this is where he entrusts his mother to the disciple John. Um, This is a, a restoration of relationship and home. And then the very last words of Jesus as recorded in this gospel are, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. In the death of Christ upon the cross, sin is finished. It is finished. Remember that today. As God does for you in Jesus Christ what you could not do for yourself. And that is break the power of sin in this life and conquer the penalty of sin in death. That's what happens on this day, which we call good. I'll be right back. walk-up music for Adam Holtz. Man, we have uh, missed being with you. Welcome back. Thank you, Carmen. Good to be back. All right. So um, for those uh, who maybe haven't been here when I have shared that Adam has been unwell. His, uh, he has not been <laughs> able to talk much. So we're very, very glad you're back. Um, sickness has now departed your household and you are restored by God's grace and uh, and the and the wonderful mercies of living in this generation and in this place. Yes, uh, mostly. Um, <laughs> I'm. Uh, I would love to claim that wholeheartedly. Uh, my wife and children would beg to differ that there's still a cough that's affecting my voice. But yeah, uh, I've had the the nasty troika of the flu, whooping cough, and pneumonia. So uh, it's just uh, going to take some time, but I'm yeah. on the mend and I'm I'm moving the right direction. So I will I will definitely claim that. Hey, can we pray for you um, as our lead off here this morning? Oh yeah, absolutely. Father, we bear up before you, our brother Adam. Um, we thank you for his life, and we thank you um, for the work you are doing in him right now as the great physician. We would ask, Father, that you would restore him completely from all that has um, diminished his ability to um, to declare the goodness of who you are to others. And so, Father, we would ask for a restoration of his voice. We would ask for a cessation of, of the nagging cough. We thank you for his precious wife and family, um, and we thank you for the healing of his body. Um, with this prayer, Father, we do lift up to you all who are suffering today um, from physical infirmities of every variety. And and we pray special prayers today for those um, with the COVID-19 virus and also for those with other um, acute diseases and infirmities that require them to be hospitalized. Because, Father, right now that means that their families are separated from them. So all of those we lift up into your uh, gracious presence right now as we intercede in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Carmen. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Adam, um, my family has been making its list of things to watch, what to watch this weekend. Um, I will go ahead and tell you we have things on our list that I suspect 
few other people have on their list. We are watching a series on the Eyewitness Bible, which is a website uh-huh. that has some really cool stuff on it. Um, and we are um, re-watching Pilgrim's Progress. We watched the Ten Commandments last night. We have Risen on our list. What's on oh, your good. list? What's on your list of what to watch? Boy, that is a terrific question. Um, I mean, if you want to go toward more spiritual, you know, sorts of movies for Easter, um, I would commend my coworker Paul Acey's blog to you, which he wrote yesterday. Uh, it's titled The Best Movie Made About Jesus, A Few to Consider. And, you know, you'll find some things on that list that you have heard of. And you'll find some things that perhaps you haven't heard of. Uh, Risen is definitely on the list. I think in terms of a movie that provokes me to think about Jesus from a new way and yet still tells the the story in an orthodox way, Risen may be the best one since The Passion of the Christ. Uh, And I think The Passion of the Christ is a masterpiece in and of itself. But it's so – it doesn't pull any punches, you know, literally. Uh, it's a hard movie to watch. So some families, because of the violence, which, you know, rightly earns an R rating, may want to pull up short on that one. Um, so those are, are some pretty interesting films. You know, in 2016, there was a movie called The Last Days in the Desert, which was uh, – starred Ewan McGregor, and he played both – Jesus and Satan uh, kind of having a a conversation. Now, this is not an orthodox film in the sense that it draws directly from Scripture, but another one that it's another one that I think it's provocative in the best sense of the word that it will cause you to think about things about Jesus maybe that you haven't thought about before. Okay, I like Paul's comment about that one. Few people besides me actually saw it. No, which, it's true. Which, no, right? Like that gives us an opportunity maybe to see something that we haven't seen before. I'm definitely at the stage, Adam, that um, I preview movies. I'm, I'm, I'm probably much more intentional about watching in advance movies that are related to the gospel or scripture related. Um, I want to yeah. watch them before I watch them with my teenage children because I want to be prepared in advance for the places where it does depart from the biblical uh, narrative. And so when you say yes. something is not orthodox, I just want to translate that for our listeners. I think what you're saying there is it's going to depart from um, the way that the church over the course of uh, of 20 centuries has interpreted the events of the life, right. uh, person, and work of Christ. And so, um, you know, all films take some, um, you know, creative liberty, right? They are artistic endeavors. They are going to, in some way, um, be different than a an absolute direct word-for-word um, right. presentation. Um, but some of them depart further than others. The holy imagination goes further in some movies than it does in others. And I think that's what you're saying when you say that yeah. it's not, quote-unquote, orthodox. Well, and in this case— this is is wholly imagined. I mean, mm-hmm. we see in Scripture that Jesus had an encounter with Satan in the desert, and this sort of takes that entire passage and blows it out and imagines it in a much bigger context. You know, we we get a depiction of Jesus in the desert. We get a depiction of of Satan as somebody who 
is not only Satan as we know him, but he's scheming. He's smart. He knows what Jesus' weaknesses are. Uh, and so it's, um, it's one of those that sort of paints a big, broad tapestry of something in Scripture that we just have a, a relatively compact uh, encounter. Um, and so, again, some people will respond to movies like that and say, well, that's not in the Bible, and therefore, you know, approach it with uh, a great deal of caution. And certainly, as you're saying, we do need to approach these things with caution. But I think that when we're grounded in Scripture, when we're grounded in truth, that actually gives us the freedom to interact with these stories and to say, oh, I like what they did here. It helps me understand. And over in this area, I don't like what they did because it, it distorts something that I believe is true. Uh, and it gives us, we call that discernment. You know, we recognize the good uh, and we identify places where it, you know, really uh, veers from truth. Uh, and then we can have a conversation about it. All right, Adam uh, Holtz and I will be right back. we we'll take a very brief break. Um, we're going to talk about some documentaries that you might be interested in seeing. They feature creation. All right, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Forgiven, forgiven, child, freedom from All right, what are you and your family watching this weekend? I will tell you that my family is tuning into season two of the Encounter series featuring Bruce Marciano. We had Bruce on the show to talk about that recently, so you could check that out at Pure Flix. Um, we are also watching um, a, a series on eyewitnessbible.org. They've done a Holy Week series. It goes day by day through Palm Sunday, uh, from Palm Sunday all the way to Easter. It is um, is very intriguing. It is scripture um, strict. The scripts are there. There's a study guide that you can download for each one. Um, Palm Sunday features donkey owner, if that gives you any sense into this um, and maybe how it works. Really well done. I want you to check that out, eyewitnessbible.org. All right, Adam, let's pivot and talk about some, um, you know, just straight up creation or nature documentaries, because this is a this is kind of a good direction to go as well. Tell, tell us what's going on here. You know, every year since 2008, um, Disney's subsidiary, Disney Nature, uh, has put out a documentary about something in the natural world um, in April. And they do it around Earth Day. And so there's that focus on stewardship and taking care of the Earth and the creation that we share this planet with. And this year, uh, and those have always been theatrical releases, and they've been terrific. This year they did two of them. And because the theaters are closed, they released them directly to Disney+. Plus, uh, and they're called Elephant and dolphin reef. And in this case, there's no um, surprise turn. Elephant is about elephants and dolphin reef is about dolphins. Um, elephant is about a herd of elephants uh, that are in Africa, obviously, uh, trying to get from one water hole to another. And the story focuses primarily on a young, cute, uh, and cuddly elephant calf named Jomo. There's always an anthropomorphized sort of approach to storytelling. They give them names, that sort of thing. And the same is true with Dolphin Reef, which is set in the South Pacific. Um, there's some mild animal peril. I will say that in elephant, not all of the elephants make it 
from one watering hole to the other. But I will quickly say Disney knows its audience. We're not talking old yeller territory here. It's not setting us up to love a particular elephant and then have it, you know, completely savaged by wild animals. Although there are some wild animals here. Um, so if you have really, really sensitive young viewers, especially with elephant, that may be one thing to keep in mind. But I think on balance, here's what I like about these movies right now. Uh, they're beautiful. They really inspire wonder. They, as Christians, they remind us of the glory of God's creation and his creative capacity. Uh, they remind us, I think, of our, our role as stewards uh, of this, this planet that he has given us to care for. Um, and they're just innocent and pure. And right now, apart from watching a movie about Jesus, I can't really think of a better way to focus our mind, you know, just give it a break from all the bad news and watch something really beautiful. At our house today, we are having the all creation groans with eager longing for man's redemption conversation because our dog killed six baby chicks last night. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes, and I know. And so Studio Dog is living in shame today. But um, yeah. but today we are dealing with the reality of death and and the spirit of the wild, I suppose. And so yeah. all creation groans with eager longing for man's redemption. And that's true when we look at the oceans. It's true when we look at the deserts. It's true when we look like, right, there is a groaning in creation today. Um, there's a groaning as we look at the locust swarms um, across North Africa and into the Middle East. And what is then caused in terms of, of human um, privation in relationship to that. It's devastating. It's just devastating. And it's yes. all a consequence of sin. And it yes, all right. is answered at the cross. Um, and there is a new creation coming. Um, it is, there is some already and not yet to that story. And so I do think that these are particularly good. It's particularly good to do some positive creation, recreation um, oriented films over this, not only this weekend, but in the midst of this sort of stay at home reality that we all find yep. ourselves in. Yeah, I absolutely wholeheartedly agree with that. And I love the the theological context that you have given it in terms of the implications of the fall and the hope of redemption. Um, that is powerful. And, and I want to pivot just for a second um, to mention that another thing you could put on your list of things to potentially check out, um, this week, Focus on the Family launched Focus at Home. And you can find that at focusonthefamily.com slash streaming. Uh, and we're streaming audio and video clips of kind of a greatest hits of everything we've done for the last 40 years or so. Uh, and so if you're an Adventures and Odyssey fan, we've got some free episodes of that up. Uh, McGee and Me, um, Ray Vanderlaan's series, That the World May Know. Uh, and we're adding new content every day. So that's another alternative to check out. Uh, and it will be free for the duration of this COVID-19 thing that we're in right now. So, uh, okay, so give check us, out. Give us focusonthefamily.com and then give us the next part. Slash streaming. Streaming. Right. Yep. And it's called Focus at Home. So you could do a search on that uh, as well and you should be able to find it. Love it. All right. I'm going to push that out today on my all my socials. Thank you so Great. much, Adam. 
Blessings on your voice. We look forward to talking with you next Friday. Sounds great. Hopefully it'll be a little better. Thanks, Carmen. Thanks, man. We'll be right back. Michael Card, musician and author and generally blessed good guy. Uh, Michael Card is going to be back here in just a moment. Um, We are going to talk about what happens on this day. We're going to talk about the Gospel of John. We are going to talk about Jesus as the way and the truth and the life. We are going to talk about light and darkness, life and death, truth and lies. Good Friday. Michael Card sings uh, sings what are the undercurrents for many of us of this season and this day and this weekend. And today he's going to just come and he and I are just going to reflect on the cross. That's up next here on Morning for Carmen. So, uh... Several hundred of you joined us last night. Uh, Susie Larson and I had the opportunity to offer an Uncommon Love live event. We did so um, via some great technology that's available. That content is now posted on the Faith Radio YouTube page. So the Faith, so Faith Radio has a YouTube page. If you go to youtube.com and you subscribe to the Faith Radio page, there, um, then you're going to get alerts when we have um, some new video posted. And this video is now posted. It's called Uncommon Love. It was a live event. It took place last night. Susie Larson and I reflected on um, this season, these days, the passages of Scripture related to the Last Supper. Um, and we took prayer requests, and we prayed for those who were participating. And so, wonderful opportunity for us as the Faith Radio family to acknowledge the uncommon love of God in Christ Jesus and and also to uh, just be able to be together in a time of concerted prayer. So encourage you to um, to check that out. Again, you go to youtube.com, you search for the Faith Radio page, you're looking for Uncommon Love. It's a live event featuring Carmen LaBerge and Susie Larson. Um, and thank you again for all of those of you who participated. We'll be right back. This is Max Licato. Jesus was full of grace and truth. John 1 and verse 14. Not just grace, but truth. Not just truth, but grace. Grace told the adulterous woman, I do not condemn you. Truth told her, go and sin no more. Grace invited a swindler named Zacchaeus to lunch. Truth prompted him to sell half of his belongings and give to the poor. Grace washed the feet of the disciples. Truth told them, do as I have done to you. Grace invited the woman at the well to drink everlasting water. Truth tactfully reminded her that she had gone through five husbands and was shacking up with a boyfriend. Jesus shared truth but graciously, and he offered grace but truthfully. Grace and truth. Acceptance seeks to offer both. This is Max Lucado.
joining me now, musician and author Michael Card. Michael, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. How are you doing? Well, I am. I am well. It is well with my soul. Um, you know, I I know what today is all about. I know that it is the hinge, the redemptive hinge upon which all of human history hangs, and I long for others to make their way to the cross today. That's how I am. Hmm. How are you? How are you? Wow. Well, um, you're you're uh, you're tuned in much more deeply than I am at this moment, but uh, I want to be where you are. So let's keep talking. <laughs> So as we make our way to the cross today, um, thank you for, John, the Gospel of Wisdom. Thank you for your reflections on the other Gospels as well. This is a, a wonderful project you've been engaged in over um, over a number of years. Talk, talk with us about making our way to the cross using um, those final chapters of the Gospel of John. Hmm. Well, John... Uh... John's 92% unique anyway. It's a unique gospel. Um, he, um, but he was an eyewitness. He was, in fact, as far as we can tell, he's the only one of the disciples that was at the cross who was there with the women. So um, I think, um, especially in terms of um, the trial, uh, which I think he was also there for, uh, John is a good gospel. Call me all the gospels are God's word and they're perfect. So don't don't misunderstand me. But um, I really think that the uniqueness of John uh, in in the portrayal of uh, the passion of Jesus is uh, is certainly a good place to start. It's in John that we uh, hear Jesus from the cross uh, in his final words say, "It is finished." What does that mean for John? When John when John is recording that, when and he says it is finished. What is John what how is John processing that? Well, I think the first thing is we we want things we we don't think in Hebrew. We think in uh Greek, basically English and Greek. Um and part of that means that we think the answer is always one thing. So uh, behind your question, I'm, I'm betting is this idea that when Jesus says it's finished, it means what's the one thing that that means? And I think in Hebrew, it can mean a lot. It means lots of things. Uh, the, the, the price that was paid, the process of redeeming the world, Jesus has just uh, suffered for the sins of the world. That's finished. That's been completed. But I think I, I think it means other things too. I think it means his ministry on earth is finished. I think um, it means um, that 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 time on the cross is finished. Um, so it, it it means a world of things. And John and John portrays that I think really really well. And once again, uh, as far as we know, he's the only other person who or the only other disciple who heard that. Um, he. Uh, I think it's really interesting that John is fascinated by the fact that, and he's the only gospel that reports it, he's fascinated by the fact that when Jesus' side is pierced, water and blood flow out. And that's some, he sees that as highly symbolic. Now, we explain that away medically. Uh, it's the water from the sack that covers the heart and, and blah, blah, blah. You've heard those ex- explanations your whole life. But John sees that as, as deeply meaningful. And so, so when he hears it's finished, I think he hears lots of things. He hears, uh, he hears the whole depth of what Jesus is talking about. That, that, 
All that is done. His life is done. His mission is done. His ministry is done. The payment for the sins of the world is done. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and I think that the observation that we think in Greek, we are we are very Hellenistic in the way that we think. Um, yeah, exactly. And, Absolutely. And we're talking about people who were Hebrew, not only in their language, but in their heritage, in their practices, in their culture. They were living um, under Roman rule, but they were living as Hebrews under Roman rule. And and there is a there there is a necessity of understanding um, the context in which all of this was hap- happening. And so, thank you so much. I'm wondering if there are other details that John lifts up um, in in the in the Passion narrative, and particularly on this Good Friday in the context of the events of this particular day. When we come back yeah. from the break, can you can you lift up a couple of other particular details? that fascinate John that might help us uh, focus in today as well. I'm talking with Michael Card. Um, He's so gracious to rejoin us again today on this Good Friday just to talk about the cross. We'll be right back. As we observe, recognize, acknowledge, tend to the events in the life of Christ as he makes his way to a place called Calvary, to an event we call the cross, to an excruciating number of hours during which history literally changes, is changed forever by the grace and the goodness of God through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Um, we're just reflecting on that today. Michael Card is my conversation partner. You know him, musician and author. He's been on recently to talk about his book, John, the Gospel of Wisdom. Um, Michael, as we as we consider the cross today, are there, are there some particular things that um, fascinate the gospel writer, John, um, that might help us enter in more closely to this experience today? Yeah, uh, certainly there are. Um, but but d- let me step back just a minute. You just word the word use the word excruciating. The s- the center of that word is cruxus cross. Our word excruciating comes from the word cross. So it's it's even it's it's saturated our language. The suffering that's represented uh, today by Jesus is even found in words like excruciating, which I found I find absolutely um, fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But 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 back to John. Yeah, the 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 unique things of John, um the things that are unique about the whole gospel really do come out in the passion week. Uh one of the things John does that no one, no one else does is he shows us long scenes of Jesus talking to just one other person. Uh only John does that. And so Nicodemus and the woman at the well and uh, the man who was uh, born blind, and those kind of uh, those are unique in Jesus. And when you get to the Passion, uh, you see that with Pilate, especially Jesus' discussion with Pilate in John is, you know, I won't say twice as long, probably three or four times more than uh, the other Gospels. He's very interested in Pilate, um, both the um, 
the, the discussion with Jesus and Pilate, even the whole discussion of what I've written, I've written uh, when they want to take the, the placard, uh, the Jews want to take the placard down that says that Jesus is king of the Jews. Uh, that's all longer in John. And another thing that I find interesting about John, remember, John writes his gospel as an old man, 90, 100 years old. Peter's been dead for 30, 40 years by the time John writes his gospel. He's the last living disciple. He's the last person that can tell you these stories. And one of the things he does is he explains things. And the other gospels don't do that. And uh, I, I, I say it's the only gospel that whispers. So he's explaining why people do things. And, and uh, he does that uh, during the Passion narrative uh, as well. So John's uniqueness really, really comes out. But most of all, it's that that high Christology, this idea that Jesus is the Word and Jesus is the bread and he's the living water. And I think John's fascination with the water and the blood coming from Jesus' wound, and he's the only gospel writer that talks about that, that comes from the fact that he has this huge, uh, this very high uh, Christology, and that comes from preaching and teaching this for 50, 60 years. Yeah, remind us, give us a little bit of the reminder of the timeline here. I think that we imagine that this was all like recorded in real time. You know, these were these were eyewitnesses and they had iPhones and they, you know, yeah. recorded and projected all this. That's just not how this happened. And I think that the timeline related to the Gospel of John is particularly helpful because there's a longer time of reflection here on the events. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even, even leading up to the Passion, you know, we've got this long discourse of Jesus after the supper, and then an even longer discourse by Jesus as they're walking to Gethsemane. That's only in John. And um, I think that happened. I think they stayed up all night. Um, then Jesus certainly prays all night while the, the while the disciples sleep. But uh, if you're talking about a, um, a timeline for Good Friday, uh, it, it begins much earlier usually than we, than we imagine. Uh, he, he probably... Um, you know, six, probably six, seven in the morning, uh, th- th- at the break of day, they take him. And Pilate probably condemns Jesus, you know, probably eight o'clock in the morning. That condemnation comes. And they know that they have to get Jesus to Pilate early in the morning because that is when Roman officials get their work done. Um, so very early in the morning. And so Jesus is on the cross probably by nine, nine o'clock. And then and he's there all day uh, from nine till uh, he dies at three. Um, the darkness and the earthquake that only Matthew talks about. Uh, and and then, you know, the, the day is done basically by 6 p.m. when Jesus' body is laid in the tomb. So it's a full day, and most of that day is him suffering. You know, when I watched uh, the movie The Passion of the Christ a number of years ago, um, I, I have to admit to you, Michael, I, I couldn't even, I couldn't even endure the hour. Like yeah. it's all, you know, it's reduced down, it, it's reduced down. And I, I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't even watch it, yeah. um, the first time for an hour. Um, I can't imagine enduring it in person, watching it happen over the course of several hours, um, yeah. live in person over the course of a full day. And certainly, then, I cannot imagine being the one who endured it himself. Yeah, and, you know, Gibson uh, Gibson pushed the envelope as far as he could, 
but I, it's like you said, it was reduced down. It, it, he didn't even present it as as horrifically as it really was. We we go right past the scourging of Jesus, and there's the old. Uh, I don't think uh, Gibson knew better. I don't know. Did he do forty or thirty nine uh, stripes? He Jesus did. of Nazareth. One of my favorite movies does 39 stripes. Well, that's not true. That's not how it happened. That's a Jewish synagogue flogging. And Paul is the only one who mentions that he receives 40 lashes, save one. Uh, The Romans, Jesus wasn't flogged in a synagogue by the Jews. He was flogged by the Romans uh, with a flagrum. And um, they didn't count the stripes. And the only detail we have of that comes from, I think, Cicero, who says that a man would be flogged or maybe this is the Julian Code, uh, a man would be flogged until the flesh hung from his back. Cicero says that he saw people disemboweled by flogging. So the, the flogging that we, we, you know, we go right past could have killed him, and it, it certainly killed several people. Augustus had one of his wives flogged, in it, and she lost an eye. Uh, from uh, the the flagrum going around the side of her head and ripping her eye out. So uh, it is, but before he even gets to the cross, it's it's inconceivable. And like you said before, it's it's excruciating. And uh, I used to in college when I was studying scripture, I try to emphasize the spiritual agony of Jesus being separated from his father. And I would say, you know, other people suffered worse physical things than Jesus did. So the the real suffering is is really spiritual. And the more I've studied the flogging and the crucifixion, I think that was wrong. I, I'm not mm. so sure anyone ever suffered physically as much as as, uh, as Jesus did. Mm. Michael Card, thank you so much. Um, you are helping us enter in today into the reality that is described in, in the Gospels. Um, thank you for the music. Thank you for the writing. And thank you for the visit today. Thank you, Carmen. Well, well blessings, uh, blessing for you and, and your readers today. I hope we can, uh, we can get in touch with what this day means. Absolutely. No, I think that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to make our yeah. way to the cross where, you know, where God has made the way. Thank you. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. We'll be right back. Walking down the road to Jerusalem The time had come to sacrifice again My two small As you and I make our way today with Christ to Calvary there will be a temptation to turn away and be distracted by many other things and let me encourage you to resist that temptation. Watch the lamb today. Watch the lamb. Jesus Christ is the lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world, and he does so on a cross. On a day we call Good Friday. Watch the Lamb today, my friends. We'll meet you again after he is risen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.